Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them. And easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest for this episode, it is Deirdre Fenton, Executive Director Unscripted for Meadowlark Media. We get into a lot of things on this podcast, including Good Rivals, which is a three-part docu-series on the rivalry between the Mexican and American national men's soccer teams. Deirdre is the executive producer for that, how she defines her role at Meadowlark Media, and you'll soon see from the conversation about how she works on unscripted projects and, uh, and bringing them to fruition, including one she's working on now, a documentary on Diana Tarazi. And so it is, um, she's been in the business for a long time. Again, this would be a person who, you know, you're not going to have heard of her the way you've heard of a Joe Buck or Troy Aikman or, or someone like that. But it's a person who's done some really, really interesting things behind the scenes, including served as a producer for OJ Made in America and Hillsborough. So to me, Deirdre Fenton has been part of two of the three or four best things ESPN has ever done. That's including every single, in my at least in my opinion, every single piece of content they have ever produced. She was part of two of the top three or four, at least in my opinion. Anybody who's seen the OJ Made in America or Hillsborough documentaries, I, I would imagine, probably agrees with me. So, an interesting conversation coming up with Deirdre Fenton on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, Deirdre Fenton is executive producer, comma unscripted. At Meadowlark Media, she has many credits to her name, including as a producer of ESPN's Academy Award-winning documentary, OJ Made in America, and the BAFTA-winning Hillsborough. We'll talk about both of those in this podcast because I put those two as maybe two of the three best things I've ever seen ESPN air. Uh, they're definitely in the top five. OJ is certainly one. Uh Hillsborough is in my top three. It's all subjective, of course, but I do want to get into that with her. She's here for a number of reasons, including to promote Good Rivals, which is a three-part docuseries on the rivalry between the Mexican and American national men's soccer team. She's an executive producer on that. That docuseries debuts on Amazon Prime Video on November 24th. She's also executive producing a documentary on the life and career of Diana Tarazi. Metal Arc has... A part of that as well, and I'm pleased to be joined by Deirdre Fenton. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, I appreciate it. All right, let's start off something uh, sort of big picture. So the audience, uh, I think, has a sense, Deirdre, of what you do. How would you define your role at Meadowlark Media? 
Oh, so we're, we're, we're diving right in. Um, so my role here is I, I essentially oversee all, all, the, all unscripted projects here. So all the, as we build out the documentary and unscripted arm at Meadowlark, overseeing the development of the slate and then the execution of production through delivery and, you know, PR and all the stuff what we're doing right now, you and I. So, you know, one of the things I think that I, at least I try to do on this podcast is, you know, there are people who might not know, like how something comes to be. So like, how would a, how would a, a potential unscripted piece of content, if we'll just sort of call it that, um, how would that arrive on your desk? Like, how do, do you go out and try to procure things that exist or do you, do people come to you with ideas? Like, how does that work? Um, I, you know, every every single situation is different. I think uh, I, my job would be a lot easier if there was only one way to do it. Uh, the truth is, it, it's it it depends. Um, some are, you know, some come to us through relationships that people have with um, with our employees at Meadowlark. You know, you mentioned the Diana Taurasi film that we're working on that came in through Kate Fagan, who is a full-time employee and journalist with Meadowlark. Um, so she had that relationship and, and brought it here and we were able to work with her and work with Diana and her team at Wasserman to develop that into a, um, to develop it into a documentary befitting an icon like like day. Um, but other things come various ways. Some people are looking for um, someone to help, you know, finance some shooting, things like that. And you get involved that way. So it's really, it kind of really, it really runs the gamut. Let's, um, I'm going to get more into sort of metal arc and how these kind of things get to you. But, uh, you know, just so you can check the box off and have all the public relations people at metal arc happy here. <laughs> Um, good, 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 good rivals is, um, is, is a good idea in concept. I haven't seen this documentary yet, by the way, just so the audience knows, but the, um, there's a lot, if you have any, I think even casual knowledge of the rivalry between the U S men's, um, soccer team and the Mexican national soccer team, like, you know, uh, just how fierce that's been. Mm -hmm. uh, the stadiums, particularly in Mexico, obviously, are just um, really, really tough to play against. There's geopolitical factors that um, that come in, and I would imagine probably specifically during the Trump yeah. years. And so um, can you take my audience through, Deirdre, like sort of how this came to be? Like the idea is good, and I have no doubt that there probably have been some kind of doc or film-ish treatments on this or you know maybe somebody did an episode for a sports like documentary kind of show but so how does something like this sort of uh come together how did it or how did it get to you i should say so when um th this this one specifically was really john skipper's passion passion project he's been an enormous fan of soccer and specifically the u.s men's team for a very long time. So when I started, this was one of, one of the very first things we, we talked about. Um, so that, that it originated from him. And then from there, you know, we, we knew we were going to need both the U.S. soccer and Mexican Federation's participation. So we, we went out and got those first. Um, so once you're kind once you have the participation of all the relevant leagues, that makes your pitch, uh, your pitch a lot better. Um, I think, you know, when you reference maybe this type of idea being around before. I think what makes it so incredibly relevant right now is yes, all of the things in the recent political 
memory like Trump. Um, but also, you know, there's this very new thing happening with um, with players being able to play for both the Mexican or U.S. national team because they're um, because they have citizenship in Mexico. Their parents were born in Mexico, but they but they live in the U.S. And there's this very blended. Um, we're becoming we're we're becoming our cultures are, are becoming more blended yet this rivalry remains incredibly fierce and i think the those those kids have a very relevant story to tell um and it reflects kind of the world we're living in which is very which is very diverse and very multinational and i so i think it became even more re- relevant right now um and then um i was i know john john weinbeck from you know my time at espn so when he got his new role at skydance uh funny enough i think uh him and john skipper are, are the two biggest u.s men's national team fans in the world so weinbeck approached me and said like let's do it together and that kind of um was the th- that's exactly what we needed and it kind of came all together perfectly and um we're really fortunate to have such a good partner in skydance skydance is a like a film company yeah, basically or, film produ- or a production yeah they're, company. they're a production company based in la Okay, yeah, just it's for the audience's purposes. I'll let you uh, you answer that one. Um, so, as an executive, when people think of an executive producer, at least sort of when they think of like the Hollywood concept of that, like I think they probably think of somebody who like oversees everything, like budget, creative. You're essentially the person who has to make sure, like you know, the boat gets to the dock at the right time. Is that? Is that when it's on a project such as this, is that your role is to sort of make sure that uh, that every, you know, everything's moving. People have what they need. I'm sure at some certain point you probably sit in a um, <laughs> yeah. in some kind of, you know, dark, dark room with like four other people. And you look at like the, you know, the first draft of it or the dailies of it. So what what is it in, in this kind of role? Like what's an executive producer? I, I mean, yes. And yes that's you know it's it's getting making sure the trains are running on time but um you know i've as someone who's come up in production i started as a pa i view this as very much a team sport um nothing is too small and so like i i kind of um i think part of what what i i want to do is make sure that we're on the same team and and we're all listening to each other this is a big production we had a crew in mexico with two of our eps down there and um, so it was really just about like making sure we were communicating. And uh, we did this on an incredibly condensed timeline. We did that. We were able to do three episodes in about eight months. So uh, that, that complicates things. In um, and so I think for me, and and also this is our first film, so it, it really was a great learning experience. And I'm really thankful to the team that we had, from the DPs down to the editors. Everyone really um, kind of just like went all in on it, and that's what we needed to get it done. And, and I, we're really proud of how it turned out. So, you know, I imagine getting Alexi Lawless or Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, it's just event. It's not hard. They're in the United States. Uh, a couple of those people I just mentioned are talking heads. You eventually figure out, a, you know, a hotel or their house you set up, you can interview them. The next national team to me is the more interesting one. Um, what, how was it any kind of challenge to go down there and to talk to the significant players or coaches or officials that you wanted to talk about the documentary. The, the reality is, like, there's obviously there's even incentive, I think, for guys like Lalas to talk, right? I mean, if a lot of people watch this on on um, 
on Amazon stuff. It's good publicity, especially for a guy like him. He's going to be doing the World Cup for Fox. Uh, it's different, though, for the Mexican national team. I feel like they, you know, they got to be like, all right, we respect like what this vision is from these from these people. And we want to tell our side. And so we'll agree. So how did that part work? Because that to me is, I think, the more interesting challenge to get those uh, to, to get that side, to get those players. Uh, for sure. And for us, that was the importance of working with a Mexican production company. They were, uh, we, we work with a company called Oscillated Media, who's based in Mexico City. And um, it just speaks to the importance of diversity. You know, it, it, we, they have, they're able to have conversations that like, we're not able to have both because there's a language barrier, but also because they've been there for, for 30 years. So uh, when, when you're working with people who have been in sports productions down there, they have inroads that we don't have. Um, and that's what, that's what was key. Yeah. You know, we, we did hit a few speed bumps, you know, a couple more than we did with the U S with the U S team, but the U S guys are just so used to doing this stuff and knowing exactly like eventually, you know, assuming what the product will look, look like. And so like, that was kind of what we had to navigate a little bit more with some Mexican players, but really we leaned on our Mexican partners. And um, I think that that was really the the secret sauce on this one. How would you on a as a um like in a sports context having seen all these interviews probably having seen a lot of interviews that um we'll never see they just you know they end up not making the final product like how would you evaluate the rivalry and is the intensity in 2022 the same as what at least me as a viewer felt watching it you know in like the mid 90s or or late nineties and maybe even, you know, whenever the U S got good, it feels like is when the rivalry got like really, really heated. So what's it like in 2022, at least when you listen to the people that you guys interviewed for this? Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's still there. It's like, I would, it, it's, it's like a Derby day over in the premier league, which is your season can suck. You can be on a losing streak, but you beat this team and you have something to be happy about. That's that, that's that's the rivalry. We were at Azteca in March when the U.S. played down there. Place is packed and it goes straight up. That's like a hundred thousand people and it's like shaking. Um, and that's the that's the turnout that that people have for for this rivalry. It is. Um, it's you're right. It, it really became heated right. You know, right when the U.S. got good. But um, you talk to the players about it, they still feel it. It's it's still um, it's still the most important game on on the calendar every you know every year. The the you know you the you're not in this Deirdre unless like you want people to see your work. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, like that's what this is supposed to be about. Like I want people to listen to this podcast, and you want people to watch this um, this three this three part series. So like given the timing of this was obviously specific yeah. to the World Cup, you are actively rooting for the United States and the Mexican national team to do well, right? Because the more interest um, that generates from the current teams playing in the World Cup in Qatar, the more some casual fan who may be just starting to pay attention to the success of the U.S. team or the success of the Mex Mexican team's like, oh, this is kind of cool. I didn't realize the soccer content existed. So this would... Uh, to me, there's like a real incentive. I mean, you'd be rooting for the U.S. I think anyway, probably as a U.S. you know, as a citizen. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a real incentive you guys have for these two teams to do well because the longer they stick in this tournament, I feel like the 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 bigger the prospect is of people watching this doc. 
Well, of course, but also I, this is what happens when when you when you work on something and you know beforehand you weren't totally familiar with the players or the people. You work on it and you fall in love a little bit, and that that's what happened. You know, I, right. I the, <laughs> right. these we we interview these players like the the U.S. team to me is so representative of what the U.S. is right now. It's young, it's diverse. These kids are online and they're making a name for themselves in a way we've never seen. Uh, players like Lawless be able to do, and it's exciting, and uh, and it, it's hard not to root for them. They're good, and they're like they have a confidence that they should have. And yeah, I you know I I hope they go really far. Not um you know m- my head says so everyone watches the film, but from your heart because I like them, and I, and I'm really rooting for them. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love. You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, I want to switch to the Tarazi project. Where Where is this right now, just in terms of like the conception of completion development? So we've been in a development on that for, I guess, about a, about a year. We've been shooting a little bit with her, and I, I can't say a ton because we haven't been, uh, we don't have any anything public about it yet. But um, I think, you know, she kind of, she's, she's always been a pretty private person. And uh, I think people are really going to see a new side to her that is revealing. And um, I think we'll tell a larger story about the WNBA and women's sports and uh, it's exciting. Okay. So this without, obviously I realize you don't want to give stuff away, but, but this is like her, uh, like her personal and professional journey, maybe mixed in sort of writ large into how, um, what kind of figure she is in sort of the WNBA landscape or the growth of the WNBA? Yes. I mean, that's like, I, I realize I'm just doing that off the top of my head, but that's kind of like yeah, what it is. That, that's correct. And also, you know, I think um, what I love so much about this is that um, women athletes so rarely have the occasion just to be like the best of all time. That's what she is. She's she's the goat. And I think that part of this will be cementing that and the the all of the winners and the shots she hit, like she deserved, you know, she deserves her highlight reel and and we want that to be part of this too. Okay, so this is the I'm there I brought that up uh, sort of intentionally because there's there's a sort of uh, a very easy place I want to lead to off your Tarazi project. All right. Um, not too long ago, I, uh, I wrote a piece on Kristen Lapis's, uh, amazing documentary dream on about the, uh, 1996 U S women's basketball team. And one of the reasons that that, in my opinion, documentary worked and it was phenomenal. It's, it's probably the best sports documentary. I mean, in my opinion, I've seen in 2022 is she didn't, she, t- she told that story with, um, 
I don't even sort of know how to say. I mean, she always was going to be honest. She didn't romanticize <laughs> the the story. Like she told like the story warts yeah. and all, even in the moments where like it was uncomfortable for the players or uncomfortable for uh, coach, uh, the coach of that team, Tara Vanderveer, yeah. you know what I mean? And was, this was, it, she didn't sugarcoat the doc it, 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 and she, she intentionally, I think one of the things she told me was like, she would look at like a note every night before she would go to bed. And like, it was something to the effect of like, don't be soft mm-hmm. on this doc or something to that effect. And so, and I appreciated that. And that's why I thought the doc really like, at least spoke to me. Um, it pointed out the larger point though, Deirdre, in that that market is so underserved mm-hmm. in terms of sports stories. Like, you know this, given your position, like so many of the greatest either teams or male athletes of all time have had some kind right. of treatment. I'm not saying all the docs are good, <laughs> but so, um, somebody's most likely done it. There are, there are literally hundreds of thousands of stories on women's sports or athletics that have never been touched. So I wonder in, as someone in your position, someone who's got some power to make shit happen, you must see that as an underserved market. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I've been doing sports docs for a while and, and everyone says they want women's sports, but what they really, what I find want is women's sports with a happy ending. And the fact of the matter is women's sports and men's sports are not, are not the same thing. And so th- I think like what what you're saying is just a permission to be honest with even though if the story ends well in the broader context, like we still have some fucking work to do. And like that's I think like that's the raw like that's the truth. And when women like Diana and, you know, are 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 aggressive and bold and, you know, and and emotional on the court it's not viewed as the same as when a male basketball player does it. So I think like what the craving is, is just to like, say like athletes at the top of the game are at the top of their game. And like, that's like, and, but beyond that, like when we talk about Diana's story, she's had to do, like she's had to battle through more than her male counterparts have. And um, I think that that's like, whether or not, um, like, I, you know, whether how that has affected her and how has that made her feel is part of her story. And and it should be. And it's not all it's not all like rose colored glasses. It's tough. And she deserves credit for for trailblazing and for putting people where they are now. And um, that's kind of like that. Those are those are the stories like that I'm attracted to, because I think um I, I think there is still work to do. And I think we're getting closer. But the women who have come before like D, you know, deserve some a tip of the hat for getting us this far. Oh, first of all, I'm thanking you for posting this podcast. <laughs> I, they get, women's sports get me riled up, all right? <laughs> I like it. So, so it, it, again, because I don't really get to talk to people in your specific position, like, do you feel like the economics are there in terms of, like, funding and stuff? Like, I, I don't think anybody who had the idea of, I'm gonna do the, the. I'm gonna do a doc on the 1996 uh, men's Olympic team basketball, right? You know, it's like, like some, someone's gonna fund that. Like they're gonna, some filmmaker is gonna figure out a way to get funding on that. Do you feel like the economics, um, like exist where if I have a great story about, 
again, I, I don't want to make this up, but just for argument purposes, like I want to, like, let's say that the uh, 2000, like 1999 is one of the great years in women's mm -hmm. tennis. And I, like, I wanted to do some kind of doc on that. And obviously it would have, you know, people, household people you would have heard of, like uh, the Williams sisters or Steffi Graf or Monica Sells. Again, you know, forget that I said 1999, just yeah, yeah. whatever, you know, to pick your year where all those players were playing. Like, can I, could I get funding for that? Like, is 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 a women's sports story at a position where someone would do that or is there still work to be done where like that's going to be still an uphill fight for me as a filmmaker versus where if I have an idea on some famous male athlete or team likelihood is someone's fine. I mean, I, I think, well, first of all, men had a 50 year head start in professional sports and there's still how many more professional men's sports than there are women's. So like already there's a, there's a big disparity between the amount of the amount of people you're, you're pulling from like football players have how many teams a women's soccer squad is 25. So you're already dealing with, with a smaller group of people. Um, and, and then I think like, I, 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 from, look, I've been very lucky from what I've seen. Yeah. I, 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 but I also, I was at ESPN when we were doing nine for nine, where we elevated women's sports. Um, you know, we're, we've made a conscious effort here at Meadowlark to, to make sure our slate is diverse and includes inclusive of women's sports. But like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that that's, that people are a little bit more reluctant to take a bet on women's sports, but, um, I do think like if you get something, I mean, it's all about access, right? Like if you're able to land the Williams sisters, someone's going right. to buy it. Um, do I wish there was more than the Williams sisters? Y yes, but I do think we're, we're getting there, you know, so hopefully in 10 years, this conversation is different. Um, but I think, you know, I, I would, what, what I see in the men's sports world is like, you know, people are, are green lighting, sometimes smaller docs, like uh, 90 minutes or one hours on, um, uh, maybe like some athlete you've never heard of. I don't know if we have that comparison on the women's sports side, but certainly the biggest names. Yes. I, I think you, you are able to move the needle and get those things sold. I think it's just kind of the fullness of the offering. And I would like to, um, I mean, yeah. So I, I would like to see some, some more smaller women's sports stories get, get greenlit. And that's kind of still a challenge. Yeah. And the fact is like a place like metal arc exists, that sort of should help the, uh, the ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, a couple more here for you. What does Meadowlark want to be, ultimately? I realize that, like, you know, maybe this question is better for someone like John Skipper, who's the head of this thing, or Dan Lebertard, who's the uh, co-head of this thing and the, you know, the, the most famous front face. But from your perspective, obviously, as a senior manager there, what, what does this company, what does this media company want to be? I mean, I, I think, um, I think what we found is we want to be an original development studio uh, with ambitions broader than sports. Uh, we're starting in the sports world, but I think we see moving into politics and music eventually. Um, so yeah, I think we want to be a well-rounded production company with a diverse, diverse slate, which is pretty generic. I'm sorry, but that, that, that is the goal. You, um, how long did you work at ESPN for? 
about, about, yeah, of course, about 12 and a half years. Okay. Was there a path for you at ESPN to have this same kind of position? Could you have been this, had this kind of um, senior management position where you're green lighting these kind of projects or was that path either blocked or not possible? And that's why you ultimately sort of ended up where you are. I think um, I, I, I don't want to skirt, skirt the issue. You can re-ask it. <laughs> I, I think at 30 for 30, we we were all very fortunate to be able to have the freedom and and the and the kind of creative liberties to do what we did there. And people stayed at 30 for 30 a lot longer than normal because of that. Um, you had people like Connor and Libby and Aaron Leiden, and we were all there for the same amount of time. Um, so I think if, if yeah, normally like people move and it's a little bit more fluid, but because we all kind of got so lucky, it did become, um, yeah, it, it did get a little, a little tough to figure out where the next move would be. Also um, beyond that ESPN just was changing. I think the, you know, the, the media landscape was changing so quickly. Um, I think I, I, it just kind of became the right time regardless. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I want to finish up with this. Um... You were a producer on OJ Made in America, correct? Yes, I was. Okay, and Hillsboro as well, correct? Yes, I was. Okay. So those to me are just two incredibly phenomenal pieces of documentary filmmaking to be proud of. Obviously, OJ Made in America won an Oscar. And, you know, whether you think the Oscars are bullshit, and quite frankly, in many ways they are, no offense, Deirdre, it's still an incredible, uh, it's an incredible achievement for a, a production from a sports company to, um, to, to have gotten that. I, I have written this, I wrote it in Sports Illustrated, I may have even written it in The Athletic uh, in some sort of calm looking back. That remains, in my opinion, the singular best thing ESPN's ever done. I do not believe they will do anything better in my lifetime. Nothing will be as ambitious, nothing will cut through not cut through nothing will um nothing will follow the parallel lines of sports and the american social system and politics the way that piece did if you've never seen hillsborough go out and see it it's one of the most brilliant documentaries i've ever seen i think it's in the short list for the best soccer films of all time um so I'm totally hyping things you've been part of, Deirdre, but these are two of the best things I think ESPN has ever done. Regarding the OJ Made in America, Doc, what do you remember most about that experience? And when you were part of this, did you, I don't know, did you know that you were part of something extraordinary and groundbreaking as it was going on? Or or was that only sort of acutely aware when, you know, people are rolling in with all these pra- this praise and all the, you know, people who write about this stuff are like, this, this is, this is incredible. Um, no, I, I think, I think at least on the ESPN side, we knew, we knew from when we saw the first rough cut that it was special. Um, I think it, it took, you know, it might've taken Ezra a little bit longer to believe us, 
But um, what he did is nothing short of of groundbreaking and completely transformative, you know, transform the sports stock. Um, so I think, you know, w- when we talk about and with Hillsborough, too, I, I'm incredibly fortunate to be part of both those. And, and thank you for those kind words. And I think, you know, the, what those two things taught me is like. Um, sometimes it's not just an idea. It's more about the right people and the right people to go to bat for you. You know, uh, OJ was supposed to be like four hours long. Uh, our first, the rough. first rough cut, we saw, the first rough cut we saw was eight. Uh, Connor, like he stood up after the rough cut and he's like, "Don't worry about it. I'm gonna like I'll talk to John and to Skipper's crowd." He's like, "Yeah, eight hours. That sounds fine." And so it takes kind of like it, all the right people doing, doing, making the right decisions to make these things come together. And the same thing with Hillsboro, uh, that idea had been around for, for a long time. And, um, when Dan Gordon, who's, who's a good friend and I think brilliant, um, came in, he was the right person to do it and it was the right time. And he put it together in the right way. Um, that film doesn't get made with anyone else at any other time. And, um, you know, when we were in production on that, we, we got a lot of, we got a lot of feedback that like, you're not the right people to be telling the story. You guys shouldn't do this. And uh, I think like other people standing up for us and saying like, let's just see how it goes really. Um, to me, it's like, I, I think it, it's, it's easier to lead with fear. And I think uh, seeing those people stand up for projects that ultimately ended up being um, incredible and incredible parts of ESPN history really like taught me that to try and do that. It's not easy because it's it's really not easy, but um, hopefully that's uh, some something I took away from those. Yeah, and just so to um, to sort of like fill in a couple of things there that Deirdre said. Ezra is Ezra Edelman, who's the director of um, the uh, the incredible OJ documentary. When she says Connor, that's Connor Shell, the former head of ESPN. Films uh, eventually became the uh, the head of content to ESPN, and now is at uh, his own place, Words and Pictures. And she did reference Dan Gordon, uh, Daniel Gordon, who directed Hillsborough. And just again, I think most people who listen to this probably know this, but Hillsborough is the uh, a documentary on what happened on April fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine, when ninety six people uh, died at uh, Hillsborough Stadium, and um, and sort of just how that honestly could have been prevented and yeah. the the tragedy through the eyes of of those that there it's really it, it that is an incredible film um again i think many of you who listen to this probably have seen the oj film just given the mass scale of the spm but if you have not seen hillsborough uh go out and see it I, i'm not bull i think people on this podcast knows i'm not bullshitting you here it'll be one of the best soccer documentaries of all time if you love maradona by uh um, uh, Asaf, uh, I think Kapita uh, was the director of that. It, it's in that same genre, like in terms of the high quality uh, filmmaking. Um, all right, final one for you, Deirdre, is, um, you know, there are a lot of young people who listen to this podcast. And so if they, um, if they wanted to get into a position like yours one day, what's the path for that? How would, how would one ultimately become like the, the, the head of original uh, or unscripted content at a, at a, at a place like Metal Arc? Well, I, I, you know, it's, it's tough. I feel like I, um, I, I, I'm, I had a lot of great people helping me along the way. And I honestly think that, um, that's not something, you know, it, 
So my, my first like full-time job was I worked for Connor as his PA and that Connor shall, that's not um, something you can advise someone to do, which is like, Hey, go be the PA for someone who's going to have an amazing idea. That's going to rocket this place to the, like, that is something that was very fortunate. And um, we developed in a, a close relationship that helped guide me through a lot of my early career. Um, I think, you know, there, I, I think sticking, um, like, you know, we talked about when, when I saw it, it was time to leave and like when I knew OJ would be what it was, um, I think sticking at ESPN when there were times where I could have left uh, really served me well. Um, just be, like, I, you know, knowing, just knowing that the content we were putting out was so unique and so good. And I felt like very privileged to be in that position and just um, kind of sticking there and, and, and continuing to just do the good work was probably the best thing, you know, the best decision I made. Deirdre Fenton is the executive producer unscripted at Meadowlark Media. She's the executive producer on an upcoming docuseries, which debuts on Amazon Prime Video on November 24th. That is Good Rivals, which is the story of the rivalry between the U.S. men's national team and the Mexican men's soccer national team. Obviously, you'll see both those teams at the World Cup, and this uh, really gives you, or this, I, I, again, I haven't seen it, but I imagine this will, given based on the trail, it looks pretty good. It, it really should give you perspective on just um, what that rivalry is and what I like about at least what I saw on the trailer is like they're, they're sort of going to tackle the issues that are above soccer, which always, generally speaking, the social, the political, things like that. It's more, always the more interesting stuff. Um, Deirdre, thank you so much for coming on the Sports Media Podcast today and um, and not only explaining what you do and and what you've done, but just giving my listeners a sense of, um, you know, what, what projects sort of are attractive and can ultimately uh, can get to market for them to see. I, uh, I wish you the best of luck and thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Deirdre for, a, uh, for an interesting conversation. Hopefully you guys appreciated that. If you head to the archives, you will find things knock on wood, that I think are interesting to you. Podcast before this one, what happens to sports media if Twitter implodes? It was a conversation with Sean Keeley, editorial strategy director at Comeback Media, and we got into a lot of the issues that are facing Twitter in regards to sports media, what an alternative might be, the value of it, how people have monetized it. So if you're on Twitter, that, that, that would probably be an interesting conversation for you. For that, Jeff Perlman. On his Bo Jackson book, we did a World Cup preview with Grant Wall, Adam Amin and Adnan Burke were on this podcast, as well as Jamel Hill, James, Andrew Miller, and Bob Costas. If you like these kind of podcasts, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how the podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thank you to everybody at Kings 13, Chris Corcoran, etc. But most of all, thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.